Well, this Sunday next, as we make our way through the Ten Commandments, we'll be exploring the Fifth Commandment, as Donna just read for us. This Sunday, I want to focus and really talk to you parents, uh, but really I'm talking, in a sense, to all children. Children, not just little children, but adult children as well. And we'll talk a little bit more about the Fifth Commandment specifically. But I'm going to talk about parenting this morning. And next, next, uh, next week, we'll have a children's service in which I will address your children and talk about talking about obeying their parents. But this, um, this Sunday, I want to talk to you as parents. And parenting is a very personal thing. Sometimes I've joked with fellow pastors, I could say, you know, you could add a fourth person to the Trinity. And people, be, people would be like, okay. I mean, I thought there were three, but I guess there were four. You talk to them about their kids, and there'll be a, just a complete, you know, uh, mutiny. Right? Because why is that? Because parenting as kids, it's a real personal thing. We can invest a lot of identity, a lot of time, a lot of, we pour ourselves into our children. And so parenting is a very personal thing. And what I, I want to commend, uh, commend a number of you parents for is that you have often, of your own volition, come to me. You've come to the leadership of your church and you've said, I'm, I'm struggling here. How do I do this? You've come seeking help in parenting. And you know, uh, Sarah and I have done the same thing. We, um, boy, we uh, sometimes we are just so confused, so baffled, so powerless. Uh, so guilty, right, as parents, um, that we, we realize we can't do this on our own. And so we were regularly on the phone talking to friends, talking to our own parents. And uh, here's the thing, I don't think really anyone can parent well on their own. And so this morning, my question for you is, will you, will you as a parent be willing to listen? Will you listen? Because Christian parenting is incredibly Countercultural. Christian parenting is incredibly counterintuitive. And yet, to me, the Christian way of parenting is one of the most beautiful, one of the most compelling aspects of, of the Christian religion. I mean, Christianity sings when you see how beautiful, how it just works so well to parent your children in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we, we shouldn't be surprised that parenting, of course, is really that countercultural. Christian parenting is that countercultural or that counterintuitive because of the very nature of the gospel itself, the very cross. We worship a crucified Savior who was crucified by the culture, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate, who was crucified by Rome. Not only that, it was, it was even, even Jesus' own disciples, even his own followers, weren't there at the cross. Why? Because they themselves, it all seemed so counterintuitive. It all seemed like a disaster. And so Christianity as a way in general is counterintuitive. It's, it's not only counterintuitive, but as I said, countercultural. So the question this morning is, will we seek help? And where will we go to seek help? You know, some time ago I was watching a two-year-old. This is... Actually, when I was living in Puerto Rico, I was at a, at a, we had been invited, my family and I had been invited to a very exclusive um, hotel, and we were at a pool there, and my kids were just having a great time, and we sat down, and we're on the pool side, and we're talking to just various people who happened to be there, and we, just, we struck up a conversation with one couple, and this couple had a little two-year-old, and this two-year-old right in front of us just had a complete meltdown. A timber tantrum just kind of fell on the ground, and it was just one of those textbook meltdowns that if you're a parent, you know what that's like. 
And his parents stood there at a complete loss for what to do. And again, as a parent, I've been there myself. And, and again, my family and I, we, we had been, we've been there. We've been, the kids were in the pool. And I, I started talking before the meltdown. I started talking to the parents. The mom had a PhD. She had published both scholarly and popular work in her field. Uh, the father was an, had an MBA from an elite business school, and he was currently the manager of a major money market fund. Their net financial worth was easily in the tens of millions of dollars, and they had an incredibly impressive social and political um, you know, affiliations and connections. And every once in a while, they dropped names of people that they knew. And at one point during the child's tantrum, the mom turned to the dad and, and, with, and within my earshot said these words, why do I feel like our son is running the family? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Because according to the commonplace criteria for power, these parents, both whether individually or together, these parents towered over their toddler, financially, academically, developmentally, socially, institutionally. It was no contest, right? 40-year-old money market manager with an MBA from, I don't know, even know, Harvard Business School. And yet the power asymmetry, the power asymmetry just wasn't, it didn't make sense. In terms of hierarchy, it, it made all the sense in the world that the parents should have all the power. But if so, why was this little guy in charge? Why did the parents feel so powerless? Because there's a key idea I want to share with you this morning. That in a family, someone will be in charge. Someone will be in charge. The question is who and why them? The question is who and why them? In the London, tele, in the London, London some of you may be familiar with the London uh, newspaper, The Telegraph. Several weeks ago, there was, a, um, there was an ongoing column, I think it's called Marriage Diaries. And in that column, there was a, um, a really interesting article, and I'll just read a part of it to you. This is what it reads. This is, this is a, a, a husband and father writing. He says, our 20-year-old daughter started her first job last week. I got it for her by asking a favor from a friend. And by lunchtime, the very first day, she had quit. Because, quote, it was boring and they didn't respect me, unquote. The, the dad goes on to say, she'd been filling in forms and training when she wanted to be advising customers about their fashion choices. Surprisingly, my wife thought that my daughter had overreacted by, by quitting after four hours of working, which resulted in their first argument that they've had in about 15 years. It's embarrassing to admit, but our daughter has ruled us and her older brother since she was three. Whatever the scenario, she always got her way, and it's something that my wife and I have disagreed about since day one. She's tiny, She's blonde and she's dainty, but her fragile looks totally belie her ability to throw tantrums, sulk endlessly, and bear grudges. She's also funny, kind, and, and phenomenal company as long as, she's, as she is in charge. Her brother is easygoing, so her spectacular toddler tantrums were a shock to her and her to mom and I, though we assumed they were a phase. And when they carried on, our views on discipline differed, and my daughter took every advantage in her divide-and-conquer approach. I worry, that she, that she's such a, I worry now that she's such a spoiled brat that her life is ruined. Meanwhile, my wife totally indulges her, not just so that we can have peace and quiet at home, 
but also because my wife was never part of the in crowd growing up. And so she has gone completely overboard in trying to make our daughter have the perfect life. I've tried to be understanding, but any discussions about our daughter go nowhere, which isn't good for us. In fact, the only time we fight is over our daughter. In, in primary school, I could see that teachers and parents loathe our daughter. My wife claimed it was because she was so bright and pretty. She was the queen bee with her friends, and she regularly dropped them for no reason or played one off against the other. When we sold our business for a huge amount of money, my wife suggested private education but her son wasn't interested. I thought a fresh start would be good for our daughter and had a long talk with my wife about us being more consistent with discipline. She agreed, but absolutely nothing changed. If I grounded her, my wife let her go out. If I, if I stopped providing pocket money, my wife gave her $200 for a night out. She left school with no qualifications and left college, just quit college with no qualifications, but wanted to, wanted to work in fashion. So my wife tried to get her an internship and was laughed out the door. It took my daughter 10 attempts to pass her driving test, and when she finally did, my wife bought her a new car immediately. She dresses only in designer clothes and discovered that she's just had facial work done. But my wife says that everyone's doing it. These conflicts are exhausting. There's no compromise, and at the worst times, my wife and I hardly speak to each other for weeks. I sound pathetic, but my wife completely refuses to discuss this, and I worry about the impact these fights are having on our relationship. My wife says that we can afford to help her, but I see that this isn't helping her. Our daughter is miserable, bored, and lonely, while all her friends are studying and planning for the future. What, a, what, a, what an article. You read that, and it just breaks your heart. Let me ask you this question. Did this mother love her daughter? Did this mother love her daughter? It's kind of a trick question, isn't it? Let me ask it this way. Did, did, this, did this mother have great affection for her daughter? Undoubtedly, almost every parent has great affection for their child. But here's the question. Is affection enough? Is simply having an affection, is simply wanting the best for your child enough? Is it possible that alongside affection, parents need instruction? But from whom? Where are you going to go? Oprah? Dr. Phil? Your parents? Where are we going to go? These are all honest questions. What do we, to whom do we go to seek counsel for probably the most precious, the most precious gift that we receive from God? Parenting is so challenging. I won't take the time, but I have in front of me another, another piece from a Christian husband and father. It's a man that he got up in front of a church, a pastor friend of mine, he got up in front of a church one Sunday morning. Talk about humility. Talk about, talk about such humility. This man got up and shared with the congregation how he destroyed his wife and his children. You know how he did it? Some of you are thinking, oh, addiction. Oh, you're thinking uh, maybe workaholism. Or maybe it was um, you know, an, an affair. Maybe it was something like that. You know how he did it? He says, how I did it is because I wanted one thing and one thing for my kids only. 
athletic success. Isn't that amazing? Athletic success, what's wrong with that? But he just went all out. He went all out. I mean, he did everything he could to make sure his boys excelled in sports. And he said, over a while, they stopped coming on Sunday mornings. After a while, they started traveling more and more. And he spent all invested, all, his, all that he was, he spent on his kids, neglecting his wife, neglecting the relationships that he had. And after a while, his wife eventually just checked out. She separated. You think athletic sports? He wanted the best for his kids. Because he remembered as a kid, he just thought he loved playing sports. And he thought the best thing that he could do for his kids would be to give them success in sports. And it happens all the time. Coaches own families. I see it. It's amazing. And what's amazing is you've got 18 or at best 22, the kids never play the sport ever again in their life. And the thousands of dollars, the, the hours and hours and hours, because a parent just assumes they know what's best for their child. Parenting is so incredibly difficult. See, here's the thing. Parents seek to pass on their passions. They seek to pass on their values, what they think is most important, most valuable. They, we give our kids what we think is best. That only makes sense. That's what affection is. But the question is, what are our passions and why? What's most important to us and why? See, as parents, we will shape our kids. Even the decision to let our kids just sort of decide with how they want to be, to decide what gender they are, to decide what sexuality they are, to decide where their friends are going to be, even, even the passive approach to parenting is a form of influence. So the question is, so the, the, the reality is we will shape our kids. The question is how? And I can't tell you enough, mom and dad, so as someone who spent three years ministering to 20-somethings, and some of the most brightest, elite, these are the most brightest, gifted, privileged 20-somethings. This was in Durham, North Carolina, ministering to grad students from UNC and Duke. How many times I had 20-somethings say to me, I wish my mom or dad had told me no. I wish they'd intervened. I wish they'd told me that this could just be such a, a disaster. I wish they'd spoken into my life. I wish they'd been more formative. They didn't say those words exactly like that, but that was the idea. See, underneath our parenting are some of the most profound questions about what it means to be human. Consider the following contrast. Some of you know from your elementary age or junior high school, you know the name Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, you know the, you know the, um, the, uh, the, the, the uh, sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Jonathan Edwards is actually today studied by many in the most elite, school, elite schools as, as one who is an incredible philosopher, Christian philosopher. The very year he died, 1758, he wrote a treatise on original sin. This backward, strange doctrine. The idea that we all enter the world very corrupt. We all enter the world very broken. We all enter the world not as this blank slate, but as those who, in some sense, are against God. Talk about unpopular. But he, he writes this treatise, and he, he argues that we're basically, in some sense, born in some, some sort of darkness, in some sort of shadow. And it's this lifelong fight to do what is right, to do what is good. And it's four years later, in, in 1762, across the pond, there's a certain man by the name of Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And Rousseau, literally four years later, writes this book called Emile. And it's this book about parenting. And Rousseau cannot stand the idea that we were born corrupt. And Fianna he and his, counter, his, his counterpart, 
uh, Blaise Pascal. They go back and forth about this idea how what you know a human nature and how children come in the world. In his book, Emile Rousseau insists that children are born innocent, and it's only as they come into the world it's by by circumstances and situations that they are actually corrupted. But as Christians, what do we? What does the cross say about us? The cross says two things that are beyond dispute. The cross says this. First, someone had to die for us. <laughs> someone had to be crucified for us. That is to say, you know what? We are very depraved. We are very depraved. And in our moments when all the veneer, when all the niceness is gone and we look in the mirror, we realize how good we are at hurting others. How little affection, how little kindness. We know how to be civil. We know how to be nice. But at the end of the day, we are so often for ourselves. The cross says that we are depraved. And you know what the cross also says? Not only that, we, that Jesus had to die for us, but listen to this. This is so important. That he wanted to die for us. Why? Because we were worth dying for. Even as we were fully depraved, there is a, there's, there's, a, there's a depravity about us. The cross also says that there is an incredible dignity, an incredible worth to who we are, that Jesus wanted, was willing to die for you and for me. And true Christianity holds these two things together. Yes, there is a dark depravity. And to think less is just to be naive. To think less is just to grow up in sort of protected little suburbia where everything's just nice and neat and sweet. To, to, to ignore that is to ignore what everyone else knows about us. Ask your spouse, ask your parents, ask your siblings what you're really like, how difficult you can be. So the cross first speaks of this depravity. Yet the cross also speaks to this incredible dignity, this nobility, this beauty, so that together the cross speaks of us as just these incredible contradictions that we enter the world exactly that way. With four children and a fifth on the way, I can tell you that my kids are incredibly cute. They are so much fun and they are like, boy, they could just, I mean, they, what's the word I want to use? They are, um, they are terrorists. I mean, they just, and there are times where I just want to call my kids, just open them and just hold them so tight. There are times I want to sell them on eBay. You know, and hey, don't, do, do not do that, okay? I mean, that's, that's called, you will get arrested. It's called human trafficking, okay? Just, well, my pastor said to do it. <clears throat> so the cross speaks, and this is why, this is what Christian parenting is. When you go to parent your child from day one, it's David, Sarah. When you go to parent your child from day one, little Lorelai has got such dignity, such beauty, such nobility to her. Because God made her. God doesn't make junk, right? Or God never makes junk, and yet there is a depravity to her. And you'll find out sooner than later, okay? Very subtle. My little daughter, Julianne's not here, but man, she's, she's, this, she's probably, you know, I mean, I got some smart kids, but she's, she's smart. She knows exactly, she knows how to use her cuteness, everything, she knows exactly how to maneuver in a family of six with the seventh on the way. Okay, so there's depravity, but there's dignity. And good parenting, Christian parenting, holds these two together. And here's the, here's the, here's the, here's the I'm foot stomping. Here's the thing you want me to take away, parents, this morning. Christian parenting 
uses its authority, uses the authority that God has given to each and every one of us to, give, to grant or to give our children life, to guide them into life. See, this is so important. As parents, we come to our parenting with a past, how we were raised, right? We come to our parenting with our own personality and temperament. Some of us are introverts, extroverts. We come with our own personality of maybe being more empathetic or maybe being whatever it might. We have all these forms of of personality, the ways that God has made us, that we come to our parenting with. So we come with a past. We come with our personality. And on top of that, we come with what's popular, Right? How many times have you maybe heard an older person, an older person say, well, I parented my kids this way, and that's just what you did. That's just what you, just what you did in those days. And it's just a sense of what's popular, of what's in the moment, what do people do? And the question is, is our past, is our personality, is what's popular, do those things, are they enough? Are they enough to bring about good, loving children? Are they enough for parenting? So the first command, I'm sorry, the fifth commandment, the fifth the fifth, sorry, the fifth commandment is the first commandment devoted to interhuman interaction. And it's all about the family. Because as I mentioned earlier, the family is the basic unit of society, not even the nuclear family. We're speaking of a day and an age when it was, it was a multi-generation family. It was this large extended family of kinship with a, with a father at the top. And, and, and this, this exhortation is not an exhortation, actually. We often read it as, as an, a commandment given to children. And it is given to children, but it's given actually to parents, to, to adult children. If you are in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, and you still have adult children, adult parents, I'm sorry, if you still have parents, you are an adult child, this commandment is for you. Actually, this commandment has a lot to say about how we treat elderly parents. It speaks, and it speaks of honoring them. That's why it doesn't say obey your parents. It says honor your parents. So it calls us to look up to our elders and to give honor to the gray-haired. And in a culture today that is so youth-centric, that is all about the 20-somethings and below, we live in a, a Hollywood environment, a social media environment that is overwhelmingly focused on youth. And then you combine that with a very progressivist culture, a culture that always thinks the future is better than the past. Past, what did they know? Future, that's the future. We live in this constant iPhone world of iPhone 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, where the future is always better. And so why would you respect the past? And what what does the old man know? Right? The fifth commandment is like this massive, just this highly countercultural calling to honor and give consideration to parents. Let me just spend a few minutes here talking about the beauty of the fifth commandment. Listen to this. The, the fifth commandment is absolutely vital to a culture's flourishing. I mean, I'm going to talk personally about you as a parent, but I'm going to talk to you first and generally culturally. Why is that? Why is and that's exactly Deuteronomy in the context of Deuteronomy, the fifth commandment is given there precisely so that why? So that you may have long life, not just as a child, but so that the people of Israel, a culture, may have long life, 
and that it may go well with you in the land. That's not just a personal, private sort of thing. It's so that if you have a culture, a society, a church, where you have parents, I'm sorry, we have children who are honoring their parents, that culture will flourish. It will thrive. Why? Because parenting is God's plan for passing on wisdom from one generation to the next. And to not honor your parents is to say, you don't know anything that I need to know about living my life, about flourishing, about having real peace. There's a movie I can't recommend from the pulpit. It's called Spanglish. Um, and it, but it's, it's a great movie. I just can't recommend it from the pulpit, if you get my meaning. Um, and there's one point in there where the, the, the mother, who's the, one of the main characters, the mother, uh, she, uh, she has very much the grandmother in her life, or her mom, and, and, and she's very much in the situation. Her mom was a, just a, a chronic partier and uh, just was always just li- live life to the full, put it that way, right? And at one point in the movie, the daughter says to, to the, the mother says to the grandmother, to her mother, she says, you know, Mom, who are you to tell me what to do? All you did was party your whole life. All you did was live just however you want. You, you know, you, you did, we weren't faithful to Dad, et cetera, et cetera. And the mom responds. She says, she says, everything you're saying, sweetheart, is true. I failed, but I want you to know, right now, all my failures are coming in very handy for you. And it's this beautiful moment where the daughter actually realizes maybe all of mom's failures are coming in really handy for me. And she listens to her mom. So even as we look at her, this, is this idea of honoring your father and mother is this idea of realizing that there's an experience, a skill. Even if it's a skill in getting it wrong, it's still this skill and this wisdom and experience that can be passed down through generations. See, it's the parent-child relation that doesn't, listen to this, get this. It is the parent-child relationship that will determine if our children will live in an echo chamber or not. Parents, your role, your, one of your chief aims as a parent, says the scriptures, is to help your children hear someone outside of themselves. Take counsel from someone outside of themselves. And not to, live, to grow up living in this echo chamber of only hearing what they want to hear. Or going, or going on Google and Googling anything that they want and finding something that will confirm what they already believe. Because that's what, that's what so, so much, so much of, of the, the, the internet has become. Now you can find any news channel, you can find any website that's going to say whatever you already think. It's called confirmation bias. And so the, the, one of the challenges of, becoming, of being a great parent is, is calling your children, insisting that your children are willing to listen, are willing to obey. And we'll talk about more, that, more, more about that in a second. Listen, according to the scriptures, life, real life, abundant life, flourishing is only and ever learned. Peace is only passed on. The kindest kids, the most caring kids, the most compassionate kids are not those who are coddled. They're the ones who are corrected, the ones who are cultivated. And in our day and age of tolerance, of pseudo-tolerance, we are so hesitant to actually correct and cultivate and, 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 and shape our children. And what the fifth commandment is calling parents to do is to use our authority 
in life-giving ways. Let me just, let me just talk about that very briefly. So what I want to do here is in Scripture, what, what, what Scripture again and again calls to do is to parent in the way that our Heavenly Father parents us. Let me give you five ways that that happens. Let me give you five ways in which that happens here. Okay, first, parents are first, the way that God parents God, his people, is that he is first totally devoted to them. We can see this throughout Exodus and, we, with Exodus and Deuteronomy. Again and again, God shows that he is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. What kind of a father is he? He's a devoted father. Parents, if you're going to love your children, you are going to express your devotion to them. It's one of the things I do at nighttime with my kids. I will say, I will always want to be your daddy, no matter what you do. I am devoted to you. God is a God of covenant faithfulness. Israel's God, a God who says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. So first, parenting is about being devoted, so being devoted, devoted to our children. Second, God is a God who is deeply delighted by his children. So first, he's devoted to his children. Second, he's delighted by his children. See, understand in the original Old Testament context, to whom is, to whom is he speaking? He's speaking to slaves, to nobodies. He's speaking to people who had no legal, no legal status whatsoever. In the eyes of the world, the Israelites were property. In the eyes of Yahweh, Israel was his treasured possession. At one point, he says to them, Israel, he says to Moses, Israel is my firstborn son. Isn't that beautiful? Do you have any idea how much God delights in you? And I just, I tell you, David, one of the things I love about just my interaction with you this last year as, as, as little Lorelai's come into, kind of come into our church family is to see your enthusiasm. It's just to see just a, mo- a, lot, of, a lot of dads, especially, your, especially first time around, especially the little ones, they're kind of like, ah, oh, I don't know what to do. Like, here, you, you take, right? And to see David's delight, his utter delight in Lorelai is amazing. It's so encouraging. And, you know, David and, and, David and Sarah, I want you to hear this morning that that delight that you have for Lorelai is a little tiny sliver of the delight that your Heavenly Father has in you. That's one of the things that's so beautiful about parenting. We're to pour ourselves into our kids and shape them and grow them and challenge them and just whatever. At the same time, our children minister to us. can't tell you how many single parents I've had who said, you know what, I went through life and I, and I just, you know, I was doing my own thing, but it was when I had my child, when I was in a sense, forced to raise this child, that I became so much more mature, became so much more responsible. See, children shape us, and they give us insight into that relationship that our Heavenly Father has with us. So first, our Heavenly Father is devoted to his children. Second, he delights in them. This is how this in my own family style manifests itself. I'll often say at bedtime, I'll say to my kids, I love that I am your daddy, and I am so glad that you are my little girl, that you are my little boy. So the first thing he does, he, he is devoted to them. The second thing is that he uh, delights in them. The third is that he delivers them from danger. He delivers them. The whole story of the Exodus is God delivering his people from danger. Now, but listen to this part. This is so important, parents. He delivers them from danger, but not from difficulty. 
Again and again, we see God's people in the desert wilderness struggling. And they are going without. They don't have water. They don't have food. There is difficulty. And God does not rescue his children from difficulty. And we shouldn't be surprised by that because you and I have both have difficulties in our lives. And those difficulties are there to discipline us, to grow us. So God, first and foremost, he's devoted to us. He's He's delighted by us. He delivers us from true danger, but not from difficulty. He delivers us from the dangers around us, but also the dangers within us. And our children will have false fears. They'll have things that they're scared of that they don't need to be scared of. And our job as parents is to deliver them from those false fears. They will have foolish desires, things that they just think, they just think this is the end of them. They think this is the, the biggest thing, the most wonderful thing that ever happened. And as parents, our job is to say, you know what you're desiring? No, well, you cannot have that. It is going to kill you. There are so many things about which our kids will look at and they'll think, wow, this is Kool-Aid. And you know that what? It's actually what? It's actually kitchen cleaner. And like, I'm going to drink this. It's going to be so great. And unless you are a parent who ruthlessly just takes, does whatever it takes to, to smack that out of their hand and say, no, you are not going to have over my dead body. I love you so much that you cannot go down this path. And as little ones, that may look like, it may look like actual corporal punishment. Whatever it may look like, it may be swift and strong. And their kids won't like you, and that's okay. But you've got to be okay with it. Because if you want your child to like you, you will not be able to love them. There are a lot of times that God does what he does in our lives, knowing that we will not like it. Because he refuses to deliver us from difficulty. If you deliver your child from difficulty regularly, I promise you, they will not survive in this world. They will not leave your household. So first, God is devoted to his children. He's delighted by his children. He delivers them from danger and difficulty. We measure very briefly. He also defines obedience. He's very clear. He defines, here's, here's my law. Here's what I expect of you. As parents, one of the most beautiful things we can do is be clear about our, our obedience these are the things, this is what I want from you. Sitting down with our children, do you understand what I'm expecting? And finally, God disciplines. He disciplines his children for disobedience. It is so important, it is so important that when our children disobey, that we address it. Let me give you a brief story here, a brief sort of uh, um, uh, illustration to, to consider, uh, to help you understand what I'm saying. I want you to imagine a little boy, maybe five or six years old, maybe my, my son Winston's age, and he's outside playing in the backyard with a friend, and he's playing with tractors, and they're going around playing, and, uh, and they're having a great time, and then it's around dinner time, and, 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 and his, his mother uh, opens, the, opens the back, the screen door in the back, and says, Billy, it's time to come in now for dinner. And what does Billy do? He just keeps on playing. And then a few minutes later, mom opens the door again. Billy, it's time to come in now. And what does Billy do? He just keeps on playing. You know, he's just having a great time with his friend. And then finally, the screen door swings open. Mom steps out and yells, Billy, you get in here right now or I'm going to whip your butt. And what does, Billy, what does Billy do? Billy jumps up, looks at his friends and says, looks at his friend and says, well, got to go now. And walks in. 
Your kid will obey when you, when you make it clear to them that you're serious, that they're supposed to obey. You can either go through the exhausting thing of negotiating and, and raising the stakes and raising the stakes, or you can say, I expect, look at me, I expect you to obey. You say it respectfully, you say it gently, you say it so, soberly. And when they don't, immediately you respond with discipline. Swift, clear, just, it's just obvious it's gonna happen. And you'd be shocked the next time around, they'll actually obey the first time. It's not, yeah, it's not quite that simple, but it's almost that simple. Now a caveat here, let me close with a caveat. God has devoted to us. He delights in us. He delivers us not from danger, but not from difficulty. He defines obedience and he disciplines us for our disobedience. But here's the thing, we're not God, are we? We're not the perfect father or the perfect mother. And so the final thing that we absolutely must do as parents is to disclose to our children our failures to live up to our father's standard. It is so important that our children hear from us that we are sinners. The points, the, the, the times that your children remember most are probably not the times when you were the greatest parent. They'll remember when you failed most as a parent and what you did in response. They will remember whether or not mom pretended like everything was okay after she just started screaming and yelling and had her own temper tantrum. They'll remember most when you, dad, just decided to, just to check out and leave. It's after those moments, will we own our sin? Listen, at a certain age, especially the younger, younger years, our children really want to forgive us. But the longer they go living with someone who won't own their own sin, understandably, they won't want to be around us. And so one of those powerful things we can do is disclose our own failures. Listen, if we learn to parent from God our Father, we will learn about God through parenting. Again, let me close by just saying what I said to David, to all of you, David and Sarah. I said that if you love, as we look at our children, as you know our love, you know, I know you love your children. That is simply one small glimpse, one tiny little shard into the love that your heavenly Father has for you. And it's there at the cross of Jesus Christ that our, that our Savior, the Son of God, obeyed his Father. Is there in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane that he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. But not what I want, but what you want. Surrendering himself fully in every way in perfect obedience to the Father out of love for each and every one of us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a, what a beautiful thing it is that you love us so perfectly. Father, you know what we need before we ask you. Father, all around us, our competing voices telling us what to do, telling us what kind of parents we should be, or just telling us either that we have no dignity, that all we are is just a bunch of advanced amoebas, or, Father, just people who all they, all they are just cynical about humans and how terrible we are. Father, it is only the cross. It's only there at the cross that we see both our dignity and our depravity. And, Father, I pray that as parents, we would, we would parent out of that gospel reality, out of that reality of the cross, and that we would be so devoted to our kids. Father, show us how delightful they are 
Father, indeed, would you enable us to, um, to discipline our children, to be clear and definitive about what we require of them. And Father, show us what real danger is and the times when we should deliver our children from it. And Father, help us to see when it's just difficulties. And in love, allow our children to struggle, allow them to wrestle, allow them to fail. Father, give us that wisdom, the wisdom that you have in parenting us. Father, we love you and we pray these, all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.